Our scripture lesson comes from Genesis chapter 21, and I will be reading verses 8 through 21. The boy grew and stopped nursing. On the day he stopped nursing, Abraham prepared a huge banquet. Sarah saw Hagar's son laughing, the one Hagar the, one Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham. So she said to Abraham, send this servant away with her son. The servant's son won't share the inheritance with my son Isaac. This upset Abraham terribly because the boy was his son. God said to Abraham, do not be upset about the boy and your servant. Do everything Sarah tells you to do because your descendants will be traced through Isaac. But I will make of your servant's son a great nation too because he is also your descendant. Abraham got up early in the morning and took some bread and a flask of water and gave it to Hagar. He put the boy on her shoulder in a sling, in a shoulder sling and sent her away. She left and wandered through the desert near Beersheba. Finally, the water in the flask ran out and she put the boy down under one of the desert shrubs. She walked away from him about as far as a bow shot and sat down telling herself, I, can bear to see, I can't bear to see the son die. She sat at a distance in grief and wept. God heard the boy's cries, and God's messenger called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, Hagar, what is wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy's cries over there. Get up, pick up the boy, and take him by the hand, because I will make of him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well. She went over, filled the water flask, and gave the boy a drink. God remained with the boy. He grew up, lived in the desert, and became an expert archer. He lived in the Paran Desert, and his mother found him an Egyptian wife. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We know this particular story doesn't begin right here. We know that this particular story began some time ago when three men came to visit Abraham at his tent. They came to visit Abraham and sat down with them. They had a meal and, and they began to talk with one another. And, and Abraham somehow recognized that these three men, these three messengers were actually angels of God, the, the presence of God, the voice of God, however you want to put that with him. In the midst of that conversation, the, the, the three messengers of God tell Abraham something very interesting. They tell him that he is going to have a son. And that of this son, he will be a great nation. Now, now at the time, as you know, Abraham and Sarah didn't have kids. And it was thought that, that Sarah could not have kids. And so this was, in all respects, laughable. And what is more, the, the, these messengers told Abraham that, that the, the son that he would have, that would basically be the father of the, the nation, that, that would be the, the one who's, who, in whom God promises and fulfilled the promise that, that, that Abraham's descendant would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, would, would actually be born to Sarah. Again, there, there's some problems here. Abraham and Sarah were not young. Um, they were 90, 100, or in that particular age range. Um, let's just say they were well beyond what people would assume would be childbearing years. What's more, again, is they had tried, and, and Sarah was thought to be barren, was thought to be unable to have children. And, and so Sarah is, is eavesdropping or listening at the, at the flap of the tent, and, and she begins to laugh out loud at this news. 
right? She, she, she laughs out loud. It's laughable to her. It's a joke to her. It's, there's no way that this could happen. And, and if you remember the story, the, the man says, why did you laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. And she says, oh yeah, you laughed, right? Because it's laughable for her. That she, at the age she was, would be able to have children. That she, who, who was thought to be barren, could, could give birth to a child. And through that child, their descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand in the desert. It was laughable because it wasn't impossible. Or it was impossible. And, and so they get this news. And, and what, what's really kind of amazing is despite the... the, the the joking nature of what they're experiencing. But, but despite the fact that they think it's impossible, Abraham and Sarah move ahead in, in sort of this knowledge and belief that God will do this. It's a laughable thing, almost a joke, and yet they move ahead. But, but as time goes on, they get impatient, right? You know the story, right? They get impatient, and, and, and Sarah kind of comes up with this idea that, that, that if God's not going to give her a son, then, then maybe the... God's plan was that Abraham would, would, would be with one of her servants and, and bear the son through her. And, and so what happens is, is Sarah takes her servant, a slave girl, in, in, in her household and, and basically gives her to Abraham and says, this is how God will bear a son. I tend to gloss over this information most of the time I read this story because it's actually kind of bad if you think about it. And maybe we, we should just sit with that for a couple moments here this morning as we think about what's being done to Hagar. I mean, we tend to think about it as, oh, yeah, this is just an alternate route and, you know, they, they go wrong way. But Hagar has no voice in the matter. She's a slave. Essentially, this is an act of rape. I mean, it, it's not, it's not anything. There's no way to sugarcoat that. What, what they do is, is not good. Now, it may have been socially acceptable in the day, but that doesn't make it right. Sarah essentially says, here you go. Hagar has no choice in the matter. And now all of a sudden, this slave who has no volition on her own outside of what her masters tell her to do, now finds herself pregnant. Again, probably against her will. Certainly she didn't agree to it. Certainly she won't have all the joys that come with motherhood. She's still a slave. And so we find Hagar pregnant acting as probably an unwilling surrogate so that Abraham and Sarah might fulfill the promise that God has. Now, we know the story. And if you don't know the story, here's the short version of what happens. Hagar is pregnant, has a son. But then, guess what happens? Sarah becomes pregnant and has a son. We can see how this would create problems in that household. We can see how this would be a source of tension. In fact, even before Hagar has the child, Sarah begins to treat her badly because Sarah regrets the mistake that she has made and takes it out on Hagar. So Hagar bears a son. This is the son of the promise for a while until Sarah becomes pregnant. And when Sarah becomes pregnant, she gives birth to Isaac. She's happy. Uh, She doesn't want Isaac to share the inheritance with the other son, with the true firstborn. And so when a couple years have passed and Isaac is weaned, which is, 
in that time, you know, you, you didn't know about the health of a child until they kind of were weaned, when they were weaned, when they stopped um, nursing and started eating food on their own. There was kind of this period of like, okay, we can take a deep breath because the most terrible and volatile time in an infant's life is over with, right? The Lots of infants died in that particular period before they were weaned. And so it was kind of like this, this celebration time. And so Abraham does what, what people would do. He throws a celebration because that kind of that time of, of breathless and hopeless anticipation is over. The child is, is strong enough to maybe survive to adulthood. And so they throw a party. Abraham throws a party. This is what you do when things are good. Right? He throws a party. They're all feasting together. Everyone's having a good time. In fact, even Isaac is having a good time with his half-brother Ishmael. What we're told happens, and, and what the text reads, is that as, as Sarah was kind of standing back and watching things go on at this, uh, at this feast, she sees Isaac and Ishmael together. Now, I read out of the Common English Bible, you all have various translations which say very, like a very wide-ranging things about what was going on. So some of your translations, I believe in the King James Version, it says that uh, Ishmael was mocking Isaac. Is that right, Dave? Okay, I know Dave was reading along in King James, so I got that right. Uh, in others, it says that uh, Ishmael was playing with Isaac. Um, and then laugh. The, the root of this word is actually the same root of Isaac's name, which is he laughs, right? And so what Sarah sees is she sees something going on between Ishmael and Isaac. Now, I, I wouldn't put it past any of those things actually happening, right? Younger brothers and smaller brothers, they play together. Um, they mock one another. I mocked my brother. He mocked me, right? They laugh together, right? This is just what siblings do. But, but Sarah sees it and it strikes her as bad and as wrong. Or she sees, perhaps not for the first time, that this is going to be hard to work out. Ishmael is technically the firstborn son. And not only is he technically the firstborn son, he's the firstborn son because it was her idea. Right? And oftentimes when we're confronted with our own bad ideas, let's call them sins, we get a little defensive and angry and try to just get them out of our sight. But again, she's also thinking in terms of right, inheritance. Regardless of, of kind of what God is doing with, with Isaac and Ishmael, there, there is the monetary inheritance that should be coming. And, and Sarah doesn't want Ishmael to have primary inheritance. And so she starts scheming on how to get rid of him. She's mad. She's upset. I can, again, this is the, the picture that comes to my mind as she's standing in the back of the room scowling about how she's going to deal with this problem. And so how she decides to deal with the problem is to call Abraham and say, Abraham, you need to get rid of them. Again, let's Let's just think of this situation, right? We have, we have this child, Ishmael, who was Abraham's biological son. I have every reason to believe that Abraham loved Ishmael. And, and, and the slave who, at least as we have it here, Abraham doesn't seem to regard with any sort of love or care his heart's with the son, but... But again, this is a terrible situation. And, and to expel someone in the desert when you're kind of a, 
a wandering band of people, it's a death sentence. Right? You don't say, hey, you have to leave the camp. There's another one over there. You're in the middle of the desert, or at least the middle of the wilderness. There's not much around, and you're expelling someone from your people group. You're expelling a slave who you took from her people who are very far away, basically sentencing the boy and his mother to death. That's what this is. That's what Sarah is proposing here. Again, we tend to gloss over and whitewash this. But this is bad, folks. This is a horrible situation. And Abraham is understandably distraught. What's he going to do? His wife is saying, get rid of them. Things won't be good if his wife is upset. He sees the reality of the situation. He loves his son. So I see Abraham tossing and turning all night long. And then Genesis tells us that what happens then is an angel of the Lord or God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, it's okay to do what Sarah says. Now, that strikes me as very odd, and I don't like that. Kind of there's some turmoil about that in me. Um, But what God says is, Abraham, you can do it because I will take care of it. Right? So so we have that where, where God says, Abraham... This is a bad situation. I I think God just is like, this is bad. It's bad all around. Everything's bad about this. This is the result of what you and Sarah did. It was wrong. You shouldn't have done it. But that doesn't mean you can just get rid of it and kill it in the wilderness. That's not how things work. But what God says, and what's amazing to me, is God says, guess what? I will take care of him, and I will make of him a great nation because he is your descendant. Now, we could talk a lot about God's plans, but, but as I read the text anyway, this doesn't seem to have been in God's plan at the beginning. Right? God didn't tell Abraham and Sarah to do this. Hagar and Ishmael was an act of sin, of rebellion, of, of lack of faith, however you want to call it, on Abraham and Sarah's part. And, and so they have created this situation for themselves. God doesn't say, you deal with it. God doesn't say, yeah, that's a toughie. See, you get out of this one. God said, guess what? He's your descendant too. I will take care of it. I will take care of him. I will make a great. The promise that God gave to Abraham through Abraham's children extends even to this result of an act of sin because it's not Ishmael's fault. Is it? Certainly not Hagar's fault. God says, I will provide and I will take care of them. Which is pretty amazing considering the grace of God. And so that lightens the mood for Abraham. He doesn't feel quite as bad about doing it. It says he woke up the next morning. He gives Hagar a skin of water and some bread. Gives Ishmael to her and sends them off into the wilderness. Again, this is a kind of scene that breaks my heart a father sending his son into the wilderness? I mean, Abraham believed God. We, we know that this is something about Abraham, right? That the New Testament writers talk about it all the time. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him for his righteousness. He believed when God spoke. When God said, I will take care of it, Abraham believed it. But guess what? We're not told that he told Ishmael about this or Hagar. He sends them into the wilderness. Imagine how devastating that would be as a child. 
as someone who has no volition in this matter, Hagar couldn't have stayed if she wanted to. They're sent into the wilderness, and for them, for all intents and purposes, they believe they are sent into the wilderness to die. So they're sent into the wilderness of Beersheba. Beersheba is in the south of Israel, so it's kind of bordering on the Negev Desert. It's not a hospitable place, not a great place to be. If you recall elsewhere in Scripture, when Elijah gets depressed and goes somewhere to die, he goes south of Beersheba into the wilderness. I am going to trip and fall. He goes south into the wilderness, right? The, the story of, I'm trying to remember it's in where it is, but he goes past Beersheba, he lays under a tree and says, God, kill me now. That's where he goes to die. It is a forbidding place. Not the place you want to be separated from a caravan, from your group of people. But that is where Ishmael and Hagar find themselves. They wander. They drink all the water that's available to them. And eventually they have no food and they have no water. And this is not a great place to be when you're in the desert. And so, what happens? Hagar does all that she can do. She finds herself at wit's end. No people, no volition a child to take care of, and I can't imagine of the thought that you might have to watch your child die. And so what does she do? She says, go sit under that bush. I need to leave because I cannot bear to watch my child suffer and die. This is not a happy text. Not yet, anyway. It feels kind of heavy. It struck me that way as I was reading it in prep for today. There they are in the midst of the wilderness, separated from their people. Not just separated. It's not that they were lost. They were cast out, ready to die. Ironically enough, it's not the first time this has happened to Hagar. But she goes, it says about a bow shot away, out of hearing and sight distance, and sits down and waits for death. But fortunately, we have the bird's eye view. We know that God's not done with Hagar and Ishmael. And so, from heaven, a voice calls to Hagar and says, Hagar, what are you doing here? Again, consequently, that's the same question that God asks Elijah when he's under the broom tree waiting to die. But anyway, that's a different sermon for a different day. What are you doing here? She's waiting for death. I've been abandoned, right? But the angel says, Hagar, God sees what you do not see. Go and get your child because God has made a promise, not just to that child of Abraham, but to this child of Abraham as well. That even though Abraham and Sarah messed up in in just doing this in the first place, right? But also in casting them out. God says, My promise is still sure, not just to them, but to you as well, and to him. And so she gets up, and she she takes the boy, and then she sees just kind of over over the hill, out of her vision, or it says God opens her eyes, and she sees a well in the middle of the wilderness. What are the odds? Well, when God's directing, pretty good. 
It says she got up and she takes care of of Ishmael, gives him water. And eventually they settle in the wilderness of Paran and and he becomes a great bowman. Uh, Interesting, good archer. That's awesome. And that she chooses a wife for him from among her own people, the Egyptians. And we know that, that Ishmael, his descendants, become a great nation. He and, he and Isaac actually get back together when Abraham dies. I mean, the, it's a wonderful, wonderful story because, because we look at it and we see that like the outcast, the people um, really who shouldn't have a portion and a promise in the story, God is looking out for them. God is caring for them. God sees them. Right? Remember, this isn't the story of, of kind of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob line, right? This is a completely different story. This is, this is a story of, of Abraham and Sarah's sin, and yet, and yet we see even amidst of that that God redeems. God cares. God provides for, and God is faithful even to Ishmael, even to Hagar. Earlier, when, when Hagar is pregnant and runs away from, from, from Sarah because it's just an intolerable situation, um, she's in the wilderness again laying down, and God comes to her. And afterwards, she is one of the few people in the scriptures who have the opportunity, or at least who it's recorded, who gives God a name. Anybody know what that name was? The God who sees. Hagar, a slave girl, who has no choice in any of this, can't act of her own volition in any of this, has has the insight to say, guess what? But even in this, even me, God sees. It sometimes feels like God doesn't see us, I think on the margins, on the outskirts, when we're sick, when we're, when we're suffering, it just feels like I'm out of the sight of God, that God doesn't see, God doesn't know, God's not acting, God's not working. That, that, that maybe I'm not important enough to warrant God's attention or God's care. But I think, I think one of the things that this text begins to build in us and remind us is that God sees me, even me. That when I feel abandoned and alone, God sees. That that when I feel like things couldn't get any worse, God sees. Because even the result of Abraham's and Sarah's sin, even even Isaac, or excuse me, Ishmael and Hagar, even even that result becomes an heir to God's promise because why? God is faithful and God sees. And so I think we can be assured. In fact, I know we can be assured that God sees us today. That no matter where you are sitting as you're thinking in your mind, as you're experiencing the, the life that you have right now, some, some of you may be thinking, God has forgotten me. God has overlooked me. But our text today wants to remind us that God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten us. God has not overlooked you. God has not overlooked us. In the desert of your pain, God sees. And I think maybe 
one thing we can think about in conceptualizing this text is that, is that though it may not seem like it right now, there might be a well just over there. That, that, that wherever you are in your pain, in your, in your sorrow, in grief, and in whatever else, that may be just around the corner, just beyond where we can see, God has set an oasis. We may not be able to see it yet, but I believe it's there. Because God does not just see the big characters in the stories. Like we, we read the, the stories of Scripture and they're the big characters, right? The Abrahams, the Isaacs, the Jacobs, the, the Peters, the Pauls. Right? So, but what chance do I have in all of this? But God sees us. God sees the Ishmaels. God sees the Hagars. And I think what God would remind us today is that the promise is true for you as well. The promises that God has made to God's people throughout history, that God will be there, that God will lead us through the valleys of the shadow of death, that, that, that in Christ we have inheritance that is far beyond anything we could ask or imagine, is true for us, even us. Whether we're on the outskirts or on the inside, whether we are the positions of power or even the slaves. God cares, God sees, God knows, and the promises of God are for us as well. God will not leave you nor forsake you. God has an inheritance for you. God's promise of life in Jesus Christ is for you. God's future of hope is for you. God's promise of a kingdom that will never end is for you. For we are a people of God's inheritance as well. And the wonder of all scripture, in my opinion, is that that promise is for anyone. That we are all heirs of that promise. So I hope that can bring us hope today. For we serve a God who is radical in God's inclusion, is radical in grace, who offers hospitality not just to the clean and to the nice looking, but offers radical hospitality to all, to the outsider, to the outcast. And that God is amazingly generous. There is no end to God's resources, and so God can be and is generous to all, even outsiders, even slaves, even those who are cast out into the wilderness to die. God promises a rich inheritance. My prayer for us today is that God would help us to see the wells just over the hill. That God would open our eyes to the streams of refreshment that God has provided, to the ways in which we can see God working when it feels like we've been ignored and overlooked. And so as we close today, I hope we can close on that note of hope. On a note that God's promises are sure. I hope that we can 
end by singing together that God sees even us. And so I'm going to invite the worship team back up. For there's hope. Things looked bad for Ishmael and Hagar, wouldn't you say? I mean, they looked bad. Ready to die out of water in the wilderness, separated from their people. But in the midst of their hopelessness, the voice of God came again and said, I have heard and I have seen. And if you look just over the hill, there is water enough just to go on. There is hope, for God's promises are sure. Would you please stand with us and sing?